So we're at this section now in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 13, and we're going to read from verse 18 through to verse 30. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give the morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do it quickly. No one, now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money back, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Amen, and may God bless that word to us. Father God, we just pray that you would speak to us from this passage. We ask, Lord, for the help of the Holy Spirit to come and to brood over this message. Help us, Lord, to lift up the name of Jesus and to praise his holy name in all that we say and all that we do. For we ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. So the upper room, the betrayer. What can we learn from uh, this section of God's word? When we look back in, in this section of John 13, we read and see this man Judas who betrayed the Lord Jesus. And when we look back in history, we can see many betrayals. Julius Caesar, 44 years BC, he was betrayed by his best friend, Marcus Brutus, so much so that Julius Caesar was actually murdered. Maybe this morning you are sitting here heartbroken. Heartbroken maybe because somebody has betrayed you. Maybe a husband, maybe a wife found out maybe their husband or wife had been secretly cheating on him. And it's a very painful thing, betrayal. It's like a searing poker that pierces the heart. Who can help, you might say, We might cry, who can help me get my life back on track? 
Who can lift me up out of this struggle? There is one person who can do that, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows our hearts. He knows how each of us tick. He knows very well what betrayal feels like because he was betrayed himself, a victim of betrayal by his own disciple. Did we not read it in verse 26? It's always nice to celebrate a meal, especially when somebody else is paying. <clears throat> but here, in, here we have the Lord Jesus gathered together for this special meal, the feast of the Passover, held annually in Israel in March or April. And this feast commemorated how the firstborn of every Israelite family in Egypt were spared by God's mercy during the 10th plague by sacrificing <clears throat> by sacrificing a lamb for each family. The Passover lamb became the substitute victim for the ones who deserve death for their own sins. In this particular feast, that the Lord Jesus had with his disciples revealed that Christ was the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God, the Bible says, who takes away the sin of the world in John 1, verse 29 to 34. What tremendous good news we have this morning as Christians that our Christian faith can offer a broken world. Our nation of Scotland our nation of Great Britain is broken. It's in a mess. Morality has been chucked out with the bathwater, as we say. Why? Why are we in a mess? Because they have forgotten who God is. They have forgotten who Christ is. Jesus Christ is the Passover Lamb, God's only provision to deal once and for all for the sins of our hearts. Jesus had come into the world for one reason, and that is to die on a cross for your sin and for mine. Jesus was perfection personified, 100% without sin. And you know, that grated the scribes and the Pharisees. The religious top dogs of the day of Israel, they hated Jesus with a vengeance. They tried to arrest him. They couldn't stand Jesus. And why? Because Jesus exposed their sins. And they, they were also loads of people following Jesus and they couldn't quite understand. And I think the straw that broke the camel's back was when Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. That's it, the scribes and Pharisees says. That's it. They would have murmured amongst themselves. Jesus has to go. He's exposing our sins. So let's make some false accusations against him. 
We need to find the right moment to trap him. Someone maybe that knew his movements. Someone maybe close to him. Someone who knew his plans, perhaps even one of his disciples. And we know indeed by the reading in this chapter it was that disciple Judas Iscariot. It was his betrayal that led Jesus to his death. But putting aside the very fact that Judas had betrayed Jesus, we need to look beyond Judas to an even deadlier enemy of Jesus and of the biblical truth that Christ is the only way, the truth and the life. And that enemy is not of human form, but the invisible deadly Satan, one who the Bible says goes about like a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Well, the devil loves to pitch brother against brother. He loves to pitch sister against sister. He loves to stir up hatred between two Christians, sniping and backbiting. That's the devil's work. Don Carson wrote when he was reading about nine ways to esteem others better than ourselves. He said, how wonderful would it be if Christians were known for never putting anyone down except on a prayer list. Can I say that again? How wonderful would it be if Christians were known for never putting anyone down except on a prayer list. And out of the nine ways that Don Carson, he said number seven was the hardest. He said, guard your heart from developing a pattern of critical, condemnatory, accusatory, judgmental thoughts about others for such Actions like this make it almost impossible to esteem others better than yourself. So three simple things I want to say this morning. Can Satan's best efforts stop Christ from fulfilling his plans? What was the very first thing that Satan tried to do when Christ was born? He moved in Herod's heart in, in Matthew 2, 16. King Herod murdered every child, every boy under two, to make sure Jesus wouldn't survive. Such was the ferocity of Satan. And when Jesus was preaching in his hometown in Nazareth, in the synagogue, Satan moved the angry crowd to take him up to a cliff and look. 4 verse 16 to 30 to throw him to his death but passing through the mist Jesus went and there's many instances in the Bible that the devil and his angels have tried in vain to thwart the life of Christ yet the Lord has resisted even in the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights Jesus was tempted by the devil and Simon Peter, he tried to prevent Jesus from going to Jerusalem. And he immediately recognized who Satan was 
And Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, for you savor the things of men and not of God. And now here in this text in John 13, Jesus was fully aware that Satan would use one of his disciples to betray him in verse 21. <clears throat> Can you imagine the disciples' reaction <clears throat> when Jesus voiced those words? You could imagine them saying to themselves, Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Between themselves? And verse 18 refers away back a thousand years earlier in Psalm 41 verse 9 when this prophetic word was written. There's great lessons for us to be learned here and for all of us. For we often fear that evil seems to be gaining the the upper hand. If we look around today, we live in a godless society. We live in a modern Sodom and Gomorrah. No morality, no shame, no thought for who God is, no thought for who Jesus is, no thought about eternity and where we will spend it. Life has a purpose. It's not just to eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. No, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Did we not hear that message last Saturday at Margaret Dyer's funeral? She loved her saviour, Jesus. And yes, everyone who dies in the Lord has to taste death, physical death. But if you belong to Christ then you will never partake in spiritual death. Death, is, friends, is a, as a believer, is but entrance into everlasting life with Christ, which is far, far better. So don't be fearful, Christian, when at times we feel Satan has the upper hand, for we know for certain, we know for sure that Christ will ultimately subdue him. So the answer to the first question, can Satan's best efforts stop Christ fulfilling his plans? No. Our second question is, does the enjoyment of this great privilege of faith make someone faithful to Christ? Look at the 12 disciples. They were all chosen especially by Jesus. Even Judas Iscariot, Luke 6, 12 to 13. Look at the privilege that these 12 men had working with Christ for three years, working with Jesus, the Son of God. No, we imagine in past gone days of men who sat under the likes of Spurgeon and Martin Lloyd Jones, men like J.C. Ryle and R.C. Sproul, or maybe in recent days, maybe John MacArthur or even an Alistair Begg. But think of this, these disciples sat under the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, what a privilege. What a tremendous privilege. Chosen men who were specially empowered by Christ 
and given authority over devils, casting out demons and curing diseases. But, but as we look at chapter 13, we see very clearly that not all 12 disciples remained faithful. Judas betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. It wasn't that Jesus gave Judas any less attention than the others. After all, Jesus put Judas in charge of the money bag. So my question was, does the enjoyment of this great privilege of faith make someone faithful to Christ? It's a humbling thought. No matter what privilege and spiritual blessings we enjoy, we can still deny him or betray him when temptation comes. When I need to read about Peter, three times, three times he denied the Lord Jesus. And the other disciples didn't do much better. They all forsook Christ when he was arrested in verse 56 of Matthew 26. Does this not show that we are all, all of us here this morning, we are all capable of betraying our Savior? We all need God's grace to remain faithful, especially those who are privileged to be in leadership, whether you're an elder, a pastor, a deacon, a youth worker. We all need fresh supplies of grace and still stand in need of his grace to remain faithful. Don't rely on past graces. Don't rely on past confessions. Maybe there are some here today who walked closely with the Lord, just like Judas. But where are you today? Where are they? Betrayed, I would have to say. Betrayed, just like Judas betrayed Christ. Well, the door is open. The door is open to come back. Revelation 3 verse 20 is often used as an evangelistic gospel message. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in with him and eat with him. Do you not think this is more of a challenge to Christians for those who have left their first love and betrayed the Lord Jesus. Christ often provides opportunities for us to repent and come back to Christ, to rely on his grace. And he did it with Judas in this passage. As we look at our final question, If we are given the opportunity to repent of our wrongdoing, 
will it bring its desired results? Well, the simple answer to that is no, it won't. It will not always bring its desired results. Look at Judas. Two days before the Passover, he did a deal with the chief priests. A deal for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 26. And when Jesus revealed that he knew what Judas's plan was, in verse 21 he says, one of you will betray me. And Judas would have, he would have swallowed pretty hard, I think, when he heard those words. He would have thought in his own heart, Jesus knows it's me. He's rumbled me. His heart would be pounding. His hands would be sweaty. Would you not think this would have been the real opportunity for Judas to come clean? To repent and come clean? Jesus had given Judas a massive hint to own up to his own sins. Own up to his betrayal. Here is a way out of this mess. For Judas could have went to Jesus privately to confess his sin, could he not? Judas, Jesus rather didn't say to Judas openly, you betrayer. No, he did a simple thing. Verse 26, he dipped the bread of the sop and gave it to Judas. And this was Jesus' final offer of an olive branch to Judas, appealing to his conscience to repent and turn away from his impending betrayal. It was a Jewish custom in those days when a host dipped bread and gave it to the guest. It was a sign to say, you are my friend. Surely Judas would have seen the error of his ways. But no, the opposite happened. Verse 27, then after he had taken the morsel of bread, Satan entered into Judas. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do it quickly. What easy access Satan had to enter Judas's heart which tells us one important aspect. Judas was never regenerated. He was never born again. Judas was what Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 1. He was dead in trespasses and in sins. You see, to me this teaches me one thing about the debate or the argument of one losing their salvation. If Judas was never saved in the first place, then he never lost it. Judas was in sinful rebellion and his persistent rejection of the grace of God on numerous occasions showed once and for all that he was a false disciple. So as we leave this passage today, I want to ask my own heart 
the question first and then for all of us to ask our own heart the same question that the disciples asked Lord is it I is it me have I betrayed you have I denied you have I compromised my Christian faith have I forsaken you when I should have stood up for you My answer to those four questions is guilty. And my prayer is that the Lord would help all of us to be strong and stand firm in this God-forsaken world. A world which has no time for God. A world which has no time for Christ. Persecution, friends, may come to our doorstep. And will we stand firm in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Don't be like Judas, but love God, love Christ, and love one another for his sake. Amen. Father God, we just thank you for the challenge of your word and we pray Lord that you would enable us to live our lives that would be would bring glory and praise and honor to the name of the Lord Jesus help us Lord as we <clears throat> sing this next song that you would help us to rejoice in the God of our salvation and that you would bless us together as we worship you in his name we pray for his glory. Amen.